Well, good morning. Glad you're with us today at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. It is our privilege to have you with us. If you're not a regular part of our family, thanks for being with us. We hope you feel at home. We hope you feel encouraged. And we hope you feel like family, honestly. And we hope you'll consider being that with us. Uh, You know, I was thinking this week about our series we've been in. We've been in a series called uh, Faith and Freedom. It's been in the study of Galatians. And this week's text got me thinking about an author that I really, really appreciate. His name is J.R.R. Tolkien, if you're familiar with uh, some of his work. He wrote a book called The Hobbit. And then he wrote, uh, the sequel kind of to that was, uh, has become a pretty big series called The Lord of the Rings, right? You're familiar with that? It's, I find that some people are like either super Lord of the Rings or like, no, I never, I never went down that road, you know? So, but anyway, it's a really phenomenal. Tolkien was a believer, and he had this ability of writing characters that some were hard to look at. They were, they were scary, some were beautiful, and yet somehow they represented a part of, of who we are. He had this ability of, of creating these places that were fantasy, and yet in ways felt like home. It was amazing. Well, as I was thinking this week about the text we're going to study today, I couldn't help but think about one of the characters he created by the name of Smeagol. Some of you know who I'm talking about when I say Smeagol, and some of you may be more familiar with kind of an ulterior uh, character that Smeagol is by the name of Gollum. That, n- that name may ring more familiar to you. See, that Smeagol was kind of a regular guy. He had life. He had community. He liked to fish. Right? Seems like a normal guy to me. Um, he had friends, and then one day, um, something happened. He was fishing with his friend. His friend finds a golden ring, and the golden ring is beautiful and almost calls out to him in a magical sort of way. By the way, can I just tell you something? Sin in our lives will always present itself beautifully. Sin in our lives will always call out to us as hopeful, life-giving, and something we need, right? Right? But the Bible tells us that the enemy comes and sin in the same way to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. But what happens is uh, Smeagol goes after this ring. Well, his friend had found it, but Smeagol wanted it. And all of a sudden, he becomes literally possessed with, with owning this ring, having this ring. He ends up murdering his friend. Sin can do that too, right? It can cause us... Uh, to become something we never thought we would become. And so then over the series, we see this, on, this growing kind of possession and obsession with this thing. That's called an idol for us. When we just have to have something and it, and it takes over our lives, it goes from addiction to, to possession, literally. And what happens is often sometimes we begin to look like something we could never even recognize in our own lives through that type of addiction, that type of idolatry. It's what happened in his life. So throughout the series, we see really two people in this one character. We see Smeagol, and at moments we see um, visions of innocence and like almost like a childlikeness. And then we see scary moments of Gollum that are creepy and frightening and demonic-like. But see, the reality is both of those kind of things also exist in us. And what we see in this character that that, uh, Tolkien has written is that even within us is a war being waged. 
There is a, a, a war that is going on in us, and we can be a little bit of both at times. I want to show you a clip this morning uh, of this character having a conversation with himself, which we've all done because there's, right, it was kind of the, the, uh, the angel on this side and the demon on this side. You know, we always have these little conversations between ourselves, and uh, I think it just expresses it better if you watch the clip. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. If you can get beyond sort of the creepy scene of just the, the surface of what's going on here and take a look at the reality of the fact that we all have these conversations, don't we? Have you had that conversation before? People don't like you. What? What do you mean they don't like me? We, we get, this inner dialogue happens in our lives all the time, and it reminds us uh, of the title of this message. There is a war within us. There's something going on within us. It's deep down in our soul, and we may not be aware of it. And I hope you, you learn of it today if you're not aware of it. It's a serious war. It's a serious battle, but it's not a new battle. Uh, this is a battle that has been waged since eternity past. See, at one time in heaven, there was Lucifer. He was in charge of worship. 
And he decided that uh, he wanted to sit on God's throne. He thought, I can do this better. I want to be where God is. I want to be in God's place. I want my throne to be uh, risen above God's throne. And when that happened, pride wells up in his heart, and God kicks him out of heaven. And when he kicks Lucifer out of heaven, he also kicks one-third of the angels out of heaven with him. Those become demons. But what's interesting is now the war is being waged not on some battlefield, but in you. This war is still going on. It's just going on in us. And what we're going to see today is that it's a very real battle. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and you're trying to please him with your life, then you're very familiar with this battle. It's a difficult battle that is waged. You know, God wants us to be influenced and live in the influence of heaven, the kingdom of God, the presence of the spirit of God leading our lives, moving our lives towards the things of God. But the enemy wants to drag our lives, our families, our business, our interests, the things that that he's doing in us. He wants to drag us down to hell. And he wants us to experience an atmosphere of hell. And so today, for those of you that are like list-keeping people, this is going to be an amazing message of lists, okay? You people who love to take lists, really enjoy this message, I hope. Uh, There's going to be lots of things that you can take notes on and lists that you can make. But what's good is it's very clear what, what Paul is saying to us about who we need to be and who we don't need to be, what it looks like to follow Jesus in our lives and what it doesn't look like to follow Jesus in our lives, I love the quote from the book and from the movie. Those of you that are familiar with the movie, the, the hero of the story is Frodo. And you might remember Frodo says to his buddy and partner, confidant Sam, he says, speaking of Gollum, speaking of Smeagol rather, he says, I have to help him, Sam. Sam says, why? Why would you help him? He says, because I have to believe he can come back. I love that. And it reminds me of God who sees some of the ugliest parts in you and in me. And he says, I have to help him. Why? Because I love him. Because I believe he can become all that I have planned for him to become. And that's why I want to help him. So this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to live in an environment of heaven and not hell. What it means for us to live in freedom and not bondage of sin or the law. What does it mean? Last week we talked about the fact that freedom is given to us so that we can be a blessing to other people, so that we can serve other people. Freedom is not meant to be spent on us. And yet most of the definition of a lot of people think freedom means I get to do whatever I want to do however I want to do it. That's not freedom. The Bible says it's bondage. Freedom is actually the ability now to serve one another, to care for one another, to be a blessing to other people. But then he kind of uses it in a contrast at the end of the section from last week and says, but don't hurt one another. Don't bite at one another. Don't devour one another. Don't consume one another. This week, he's going to help us understand how to do that. How do we live in freedom? How do we live in an atmosphere of the things of God and of heaven by the Spirit? And we're going to find out it's actually by the power and the presence of the Spirit of God is the only way to do it. Look in your Bible with me in Galatians Chapter 5, we're going to go from uh, verse 16 to 25 uh, this week, but I want us just to start with verse, the very first verse, verse 16. 
5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Would you pray with me this morning as we get going? Lord, thank you for an opportunity to worship you with our family. God, thank you for a, a beautiful morning to remember how good you are, how much you love us. God, that you desire for us to be all that you want us to be. God, remind us of the war that wages within us. And help us, Lord, to choose discipleship, to choose to follow your spirit, to invest our lives in the, in the fruit of the spirit and be more like you as a result. And God, help us to crucify the things of the flesh that keep us from you. Holy Spirit of the living God, please be present with us today and move around in us and through us. Convict us of sin, oh God. Lord, I pray with all my heart that you would help me to decrease, that you would increase in this message and that you would help us to hear exactly what you want us to hear and encourage God that our lives would be moved towards obedience in you. It's our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On the back of your card, I've given you three different little fill-in points, and I thought, you know what, I'll just, we'll just cheat, all right? We'll just, I'm just going to give all three of them to you right at the, at the start here. Okay, you ready? Here's what we're going to talk about. Number one, we're going to talk about the walk and the war. The walk and the war. And then a little bit, we're going to talk about the flesh and the fruit. So the walk and the war, the flesh and the fruit, and then we're going to talk about belonging and becoming. So you can go ahead and fill those out and then just lock in here on the message, all right? So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, we've got a choice today. You had a choice before you came in here. You've got a choice when you leave. You'll have a choice tonight and tomorrow and all week and the rest of your life. I'm going to walk. I'm going to live my life in the Spirit of God or I'm going to live my life in the flesh for myself, doing whatever I want to do. One is lived in submission, the other is lived in omission. One is lived in obedience to God, the other is lived in rebellion to God. One is lived in selflessness, it's not about me, and one is lived in complete selfishness. One is lived with a God purpose and a God significance in my life, and the other is uh, void of purpose, void of significance. It's all about me, I don't, I don't even care about the future, I, I want to live for the moment. I want to live for my desire, my passions. This week we're going to get real specific and practical on these descriptions of life with and without the Spirit of God in us. You know, I love the Apostle Paul. He's the one that's written Galatians. He, he's very honest. And last week we talked about an honest moment with Paul. You might remember that one verse that was kind of eye-opening. Wow, how do you really feel, Paul? Remember that one? Um, Paul shows us last week in that text his humanity. He shows us that he really does love so much, and sometimes he says things maybe that weren't the best thing to say. And today we're going to take a little look uh, at a verse, and a section in Romans that's very confessional by Paul. It's very uh, revealing of Paul and who he really is and, and, and what's going on. And, and trust me, I am so thankful for this, this text we're going to look at for just a moment because it reminds me that, that I'm not alone and you're not alone. I hope it's encouraging to you. We're going to see that Paul's going to show us we have two natures within us. 
if you don't know Christ, you know, if you've never heard of the Lord, you, you've got a, a, a fallen nature because of sin. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and we are a sinful, fallen people. Some of you say, well, I hadn't really done that much. Well, it doesn't really matter what you think you've done. The Bible says in Psalm 51, you're conceived in sin, and that wasn't your choice, was it? Fallenness is a part of our condition. And so that's part of our, our nature, is fallenness. But when the spirit of the living God comes into our lives, we get a new nature. And trust me, what I wish is the old nature went away. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? And then we would just have the spirit of Christ, we would just have the spirit of God living in our lives, but it's not what happens. The spirit of God comes into our lives, and now we have the nature and spirit of God, but we also have sin nature living in us. We have two natures. Paul's going to make this so clear in this very confessional text in Romans 7. Look what he says in Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever felt that way? I remember in college, I've told you this before, it was a real struggle for me in college. I felt that war. I felt this tug of brokenness in my soul, this inner desire to please Jesus, but a life that was really struggling to do that. It was, I was miserable, literally. I want to show you a couple of things in this uh, as we get going here. Paul mentions a couple of things for us to remember. Number one, there's a war raging in Paul. And if there's a war raging in Paul, there's a war raging in you. So that's, hopefully that's encouraging, right? That we're not alone in this situation. The second thing I want you to see is that Paul says two things in this text that's interesting. He says, number one, that he desires to do what is right. Paul says, I desire to do what is right. And then he says uh, that I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Here's the thing I want you to see in this. When the Spirit of God changes your heart and saves us, he changes our desire. He changes what we want. He changes everything. Now listen, your life may not look like it. Your body, your, your habits, the things are still, maybe still doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But at the very core of who you are, it's been changed. It's been changed. This is what Paul's speaking of. In my inner being, he says, I, I delight in the law of the Lord in my inner being. I have a desire to please Jesus, but I'm struggling to do that. Here's the thing you need to know. That the Spirit gives us the greatest desire of our hearts, but that other nature wars against that desire, right? It's against it. It's fighting it. I heard a, uh, somebody say this week, a sinning Christian is a miserable person. And can I testify to that? A sinning Christian is a miserable person. That was me. That has been me. Knowing what is right 
and pushing against what is right and doing what I want to do in sinfulness. Have you ever done that? If you've ever done that for any amount of time, it is miserable. Your heart is torn in two because the deepest desire of your heart and your inner person is to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to make him known, to, to, to experience him. And sin pulls you away from it. It fights against it. Thank God we're not alone in this, right? But I just got to ask you this question. If you don't feel that conflict in the core of who you are, if you don't feel that war, God, I, I got to ask you, do you know Jesus? If you don't have that war going on in your soul and you don't worry about sin, it's not a big deal, I'll deal with it later. Do you know Jesus? Because when the Spirit of God comes into your heart, it doesn't want to be around sin. It wants to clean that out of your life. It wants to change your life. It wants you to become who God wants you to be. And Paul says the way we do that is by walking by his Spirit. I couldn't help but think about um, the other day I was hanging out, we were talking back here, and Wesley Qualls is now, I can't believe he's big enough now to stand up. He's standing and he's starting to walk. This is just, he, he's a baby. And, uh, you know, it's how things happen. Kids grow up really fast. I started thinking about our girls and how quickly they grow up. And, you know, when you, you go from baby to toddler, you begin to walk, you got to hold on to something. Right, you got to hold on to a finger, you got to hold on to a coffee table or a couch or a chair or something. I couldn't help but think, when we begin to walk by the Spirit as believers in Jesus, we got to hold on to something. Can I tell you what it is? It's Jesus. You got to hold on to Jesus with all that you are. If you're going to walk by the Spirit, that's what it means. I couldn't help but think about the fact that God Almighty in the Garden of Eden, Genesis describes that the God of the universe comes to walk with mankind. And it even says, I was thinking about this, it even says in the cool of the day. Remember that? Do you think God cared if it was cool in the day? That didn't affect the God of the universe. That was for man's good. He, he, he wanted not only to be with mankind, to share with Adam and Eve, to walk in relationship, to connect. He wanted to make it even nice for them. Isn't that incredible? He still wants that relationship with you. As we're growing and learning to walk by the Spirit, we gotta, we gotta stay connected to Jesus. We gotta hold on to Jesus as, as rocky as it may seem to try and walk this life of faith in Him. We gotta walk by the Spirit. And when we do, Paul says, when you walk by the Spirit, it helps you because then you won't gratify the, the desires or the works of the flesh. Stay in contact with Jesus. Stay in relationship with him. Stay dependent upon him. Isn't that what he said in John 15, 5? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Not a thing. Right? Not a thing. You think a baby would ever get up if it never had something to hold on to? It'd probably learn to crawl really fast, Right? but I don't know that it ever make it upright. Here's the thing, we hold on to Jesus and when we are connected, when we are abiding in him as a part of that vine, we grow in him. But if we are disconnected, expect nothing in your life. Expect no growth, expect no blessing because you're not connected to the vine. If we walk by the spirit, it's because we're connected, we're in relationship. We're in the vine. 
So we stay connected. But we also need to know that it's not just being with him, being connected. We've got to realize we're in a war. Right? There's the walk and the war. It's being waged within us. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I couldn't help but think about oil and water. They just, they, they repel each other. We were having dinner the other night with a soup, and, and Daisy was going, look at those bubbles, these bubbles of oil and water. They just weren't mixing, right? They, they never will. I think about magnets. They say uh, opposites attract, and if you get them close together, they just go Choo, like that. But if it's, uh, I guess if it's the same polarity, I don't know. They won't, you can't even get them together. You know, you start putting them close, and they, they repel each other. They will not come together. They will not connect. This is the spirit and the flesh. They want to have nothing to do with each other. They oppose one another. They're completely against one another. And then Paul says something very interesting. He says, they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. This is kind of a confusing little spot right here, if I'm being honest. Because we're not sure what he means. <laughs> Does he mean that we want, if, if we're taking... Uh, the view from what he mentioned back in Romans 7, in that sort of want, then what he's talking about is our deep desire is to want to please Jesus. And the, the works of the flesh keep us from pleasing Jesus. But if he's talking about our deep desire is to do whatever we want, then the Spirit comes in and opposes that. Either way, no matter how you look at what he means by that, what you really want, they oppose one another. Okay? They fight and war one another. Look at verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here comes a list for you. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul mentions several times in Galatians, we've talked about the law quite a bit. And one of the things Paul talks about the law, that we, I remember in one of the messages specifically, we talked about the purpose of the law. What's the purpose of the law? It's to show us sinfulness in us, right? Paul even says in Romans, I know I'm a sinner because of the law. He makes it very clear. We know we're sinful because the law shows us the expectation of a holy God. That's what, this is what God expects, and we don't live up to it. Therefore, we understand we're sinful people right? And we also understand as we try to live up to it, we can't. And Paul says in Galatians that we're cursed if we try to live up to this law. This is why we need Jesus, right? Because he became a curse for us. But he's saying this about the law. He, the law is, is, is there to curb or restrain uh, our sinfulness. But when we're led by the Spirit, there is no need for restraint because those things are, are of the Lord, here, here's the, section I, uh, the second section I want to bring to your attention, the flesh and the fruit. Number one, this list of things that we do in uh, our sinfulness, our flesh. He, he gives three categories of our sinfulness in our flesh. Sexual sins, spiritual sins, and social sins. Now, in sexual sins, the word that is used in the Greek is pornea. Guess what word we get from the Greek word pornea? Pretty easy, right? Porn. Sexual immorality. This means sexual relationships between people who are not married. 
These are people who are not married. God has a design for sexual relationships. It is, it is his design and it is good and he made it good and praise God for it. But when we live outside of that design, it is sinfulness, right? It is sinfulness. The second thing he mentions is impurity. Now he goes into a little bit more detail about what impurity looks like in sexual relationships in Romans 1. You can look that over. But he's basically talking about unnatural sexual practices and relationships. Again, living outside of the design of God. In Romans 1, he says it's pretty obvious, actually. <laughs> in Romans 1, it kind of says that God shows us what the plan is, and people who live outside of that are outside of God's design. So he says sexual immorality, impurity, which is unnatural sexual practices and relationships. And then he says debauchery or sensuality in the ESV. Now, this one is specific to sort of a unbridled, uncontrolled sexuality. Almost you get a sense of Gollum, right? You get a sense of addiction. You get a sense of, of an un, un, um, unrestrainedness, right? A, 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 something that takes somebody over. This is what he's talking about. Then he goes into the second section, spiritual sins. Now, we know idolatry is, is a big sin, right? The first, uh, it's a part of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't, thou shalt not have no other gods before me. And Paul is saying, when you are worshiping something other than God, when you're trying to place something other than God in the heart, in your heart and in your life, at this place that he has designed only for himself, it will always come up short. Any, God has designed us for relationship with him. And what do, we, what do we do? We start placing other things in that spot. It's called idolatry and it's sinfulness. We place our jobs we place our own significance. We place our families, our children. Things that we love more than Jesus are idolatry. And we have to be so careful that we are not worshiping something more than the creator. Second thing of spiritual sins is this, sorcery, which is basically faking the work of the spirit. And you remember in our Acts series, Paul, that first missionary journey goes over to Cyprus. And towards the edge on the western side of the island of Cyprus, Paul meets a magician by the name of Elimus. And he's around this very important official named Sergio Paulus. And the magician was really close to this official. And, and as Paul began to preach Jesus, the magician kept trying to get the official away from Paul. Remember that? He kept trying to, don't, don't listen to this guy. And he would do these little tricks that, that deceived the official. Well, then Paul comes in there with the real power of the Holy Spirit, right? Not a fake version of the Holy Spirit, which is what Elimus was doing, but the real power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul blinds this magician in a cloud of darkness. He's blinded. And the, the official is so impressed, like so blown away that the, the, with the real power and presence of the Spirit that he gets saved. His life is changed. You remember that? There's a difference in the truth and the working of the real Holy Spirit in our lives and some false version of it. And that false version is witchcraft or sorcery. The third category uh, in this uh, flesh section is social sins. Now, what's interesting, he says, he calls it works of the flesh, but it's not all about fleshly things. It's not all things we do with our body. Some of these things are intents of our heart, right? Things that we feel, things that we think. Enmity, that's hatred and forgiveness, that's prejudice. That's how you feel negatively about somebody. Strife is drama, conflict. 
You're, you just have this cloud of drama and conflict all the way around you. Jealousy. I heard somebody define jealousy this week that said, it's the zeal that comes from a hungry ego. I think that's pretty good. Jealousy is the zeal that comes from a hungry ego. It's you saying, you know what, God, I know you've done some things in my life, but I really like what you did in their life. Can I have that? Yeah, you've been good to me, but you've been really good to them. I'll take some of that in my life. If, I, if I, my life just looked a little bit more like them, a little bit more like that, if my job, if my kids, and the list goes on and on, my bank account. Jealousy is a sin, and we need to be aware of what it does to our souls. Fits of anger. These are like outbursts of rage. Are you a person that is known for being hot-headed? Are you a person that can just fly off at the, at, just at, the, at a moment's notice? Then see it for what it is. It's sinfulness. And, and lay it down at the cross. Uh, rivalries. This is basically ladder climbing. This is comparison. This is competition. I'm better that, than that guy. I can do better. Be careful. Dissensions, very simply, rebellion. I'm not doing it. I don't, I'm going to follow that. I'm not going to go that direction. It's dissension. Division literally means two visions. In that ancient uh, war uh, of eternity past with God and Lucifer, God had a vision. <laughs> he still has that vision. It's not just a vision. It's this reality. He is the holy one, right? There is no other. There's no one even comparable Yet Satan had a different vision. He wanted to be the one. It literally means two visions. And so I'm not following that vision. I'm going to do my own thing. It's my way or the highway. And it causes separation and it's sinfulness. We have to be careful not to have two visions that we try to follow because we won't. Envy, coveting, desiring what others have. What we have is never enough. God, can I just do a little bit more? And then he gets into this substance abuse. He says drunkenness. Drunkenness, of course, is a loss of control uh, with a substance. Um, maybe it might be an overindulgence in a substance, whatever the case may be, but you have lost control. Of course, he uses drunkenness. That was the main one that they had back then, but we got a whole bunch of different ones now, don't we? We got all types of choices that we can make in substance abuse now that take us out of control. It is sinfulness to be drunk. It is sinfulness to be out of control in that, in that way. And then the next one is very interesting. Orgies. You might think that that one has, should be up in the sexual category, right? But actually, it, it's not. What, it, what I learned this week is that it's connected to drunkenness. And what it means is more of like a party culture. That's what, in the Greek, that's what it means. So uh, this is more like referring to addiction of substances. And the party culture is not referring to sex. And he says, and things like these. In other words, here's a long list that you need to deal with, but this is not everything. Right? This is not exhaustive. And then Paul says, I'm warning you of these things, of the works of your flesh, the sinfulness that, that I see in you and I see in me. And he says, but I've warned you before, probably when he was in Galatia and he was teaching them about Jesus, he was also teaching them about the sinfulness of their own soul. So here's now the second time that Paul has told them about these lists of sinful activity in their flesh. And he makes this phrase that is actually a pretty creepy phrase. He says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that a scary phrase or what? If you're like me, you're looking at that list of sinfulness going, uh, I did those. I've done those. I, I did one this morning. I, last night, I hadn't made this mistake a week ago. I, 
right? And so then the question is, Lord, am I not going to go to heaven as a result of being, having a sinful mistake, lapse in judgment? What, what does this mean? Well, the good news is that in the Greek, the verb here indicates that Paul is talking about habitual sins. He's talking about sins that are ongoing. This is who we are. This is the part of, uh, of our life that, that is just, just the reality of who we are. It's not a matter of a lapse of judgment. It's not a matter of bad decision making. This is just where we live and who we want to be. If this is where you live, if this is who you want to be, if this is habitual of your life, you need to be concerned this morning about your salvation in Jesus. Because when the Spirit of God comes to live in you, the promised Holy Spirit that Paul speaks of in Galatians, he changes us. He helps us to become who God wants us to be. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't have lapses of judgment. That's not what he's referring to. He's talking about an ongoing lifestyle of not acknowledging God, but living for yourself. But salvation is when we say, Lord, I've come to the end of myself. Is there a struggle in your soul? If there's no fight in you, if there's no struggle in you, you need to be concerned this morning about your relationship with Jesus. If there is relationship with Jesus, then the fruit of the Spirit will become evident. It will happen. It will grow in you because that's what the Spirit of God does in your heart, in your life. It will become evident. Verse 22, we talk about the fruit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Is it interesting to you that he, that he doesn't say these are the fruits, plural, of the Spirit? Paul says this is the fruit of the Spirit. And I think one of the things that's interesting about this is one commentator I read said, it's because sometimes if, if you call these fruits of the Spirit, you might be tempted to go, well, you know what, I'm good at gentleness. I'm pretty good at patience. Just haven't figured out that self-control thing. I'm not sure I'll ever get it, right? It's not like we get to pick and choose fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is all-encompassing of these nine things. So when the Spirit of God is at work in your life and you're becoming like Christ, you should be growing in all of these things, right? You should be growing in every one of these areas of your life. I want to break them down into three categories as well. Uh, this is the categories of spirit. John Stott gives these categories. He's phenomenal. He, he says these three categories are Godward. In other words, these three things are really specific to, to kind of our relationship with God. Love, joy, peace. Right? There is no greater love than the love of God. And the greatest love you'll ever experience is how you love God. It's Godward. Joy. There's no greater joy in life than the joy that he gives us in knowing him. Right? Love, joy, peace. There is no deeper peace than in what he gives us through the Holy Spirit. Those are sort of Godward uh, gifts, fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. And then the second one is manward. How do we live with one another? How do we show ourselves and our godliness toward one another? With patience, right? With long-suffering for one another, with kindness. Are you an angry Christian? Are you mean? Because that doesn't honor God. Are you not patient? It doesn't honor God. To, to, to have the Spirit of God living through our lives, kindness should be our disposition. Patience should be 
who we are. Goodness. These are talking about literally works and deeds as believers. Are we doing good works? Do we have good things happening in our lives? Remember Pastor James when we did the study in James last spring? He says, uh, faith without works is what? It's dead. He said, if you have a faith in Jesus, then it's going to make its way through your life into how you work and how you serve and what you do. I'm so proud of many of our small group, uh, cell groups, cell group, I haven't used that in a while, uh, city group leaders who've taken some of our shut-in people, and they're going to go visit them in the next few days. Uh, our group is going to see uh, Miss Doris tonight. I can't wait to spend some time with her. That is, that is good work. That is you going, I, I want to spend time with her. I want to invest with her. I want to share, share with her. I want to show her that she's loved and not forgotten, that she's a part of this family, right? We have a manward aspect of this fruit of the Spirit, and that is patience, kindness, and goodness. And then we have an inward aspect of the fruit. This is what's going on inside us. Are we faithful? Are we reliable as believers in Jesus? Do we have integrity in our lives? Are we faithful to our families? Are we gentle? Do we have gentleness? Is our life described as having humility and meekness? Because that's what described the life of Jesus. And we want to be like Jesus. We want to have that humility and that meekness in our heart and in our lives as he exhibited. And then lastly, isn't it interesting this is the last one? <laughs> Self-control. You know, I told you I'm, I, I pretend to be a gardener. And one of the things that drives me crazy, I go out there and I plant a few things in the soil. And at the beginning of the season, it looks amazing. I mean, the rows are straight, right? There's no weeds. The dirt is so black, you're like, <laughs> you feel like the Jolly Green Giant or something. You know, it's like, this is, this is going to be amazing. You can't. But then the waiting, the next day, the next week, the next month, it takes three and four months to see anything happen. It's the same way sometimes in our lives. We've got to trust that God is doing a work in us, and sometimes self-control can take a while. But it means that we've begun to work on what it means to control sin in our lives. What does it mean to, to walk in intentionality about following Jesus, about living with this fruit of the Spirit in our lives? And then Paul mentions again that against such things there is no law. Again, there's no law against the things of God. The law is created to curb or restrain sinfulness. But if these things are the things of God, if these things are the environment and the atmosphere of heaven, we don't need restraint. We need more of it, right? More of it, not restraint. Look at verse 24 as we finish up here, verse 24 and 25. He says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the third section I want to talk to you about, belonging and becoming. And here's the question. Do you belong to Jesus? Who do you belong to? Are you His? Are you yours? Who do you belong to? Paul uses this phrase. He uses it in sort of a past tense, right? And those who belong to Jesus have crucified they have already dealt with these sin issues. I think it also means you're dealing with these sin issues. You've dealt and are dealing with these sin issues in your life. And then he uses this word crucified. They've crucified the flesh. Of course, he borrows this idea from Jesus, right? 
Jesus was crucified. And the thing about crucifixion is <laughs> you don't have somebody who's been crucified and you really wonder if they're dead. Right? Jesus is the only exception to that rule. If somebody's been crucified, they are dead. When somebody looks at your life, can they say, well, that guy's been crucified with Christ? Do they see the death of the sinful nature in your life? Is it representative of who you are? Or do they go, I'm not sure he's a Christian. I'm not, I'm not sure about that guy. I'm not sure he's been crucified. Here's the thing about crucifixion. It was reserved for the worst criminals. I mean the vilest of criminals that had done the worst things. That's what crucifixion was reserved for. That's what made it so scandalous because Jesus hadn't done anything. He had been the faultless, blameless lamb, and now he's going to be crucified? To be killed in the way of vile sinners? Pontius Pilate even says, there's nothing wrong with this man. I can't find anything that he's done that's wrong. So I'm going to wash my hands of this. I don't want to have any part of this. And of course, we know that the sovereignty of God and the plan and story and narrative of God is that Jesus would die a blameless death so that he could pay for our very sinful acts and deeds, right? So thank God for that. But sin was reserved for the vilest of criminals. Can I just ask you this question about your sin? Do you see your sin as vile? Do we see our sin as, as ugly as it really is? Because can I tell you what's going on in this world today? It's, it happens in all of us. We begin to make these pet sins. It's not that big of a deal. I overeat a little. It's not that big. No, that's a sin. Well, I, I watched something, but I don't know. It's kind of on the fence. Maybe not. It might be sin. And we begin to kind of whitewash the vileness and the, the disgusting nature of what put Christ on the cross. We need to see our sinfulness for what it is. It's vile. And it deserves crucifixion. Are you crucifying the sinfulness in your life? Here's the thing about crucifixion. It's painful. The Romans perfected this, this uh, art of torture and death on a cross. The most painful death someone can die. And can I just tell you something? When you come to Jesus, when you come to Jesus, and the Spirit of God is working in your life, you're going to have to make some painful choices. Man, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some painful decisions you have to make to crucify these sinful desires and passions in your life. You're going to have to make some hard decisions. It's going to be painful. There's going to be some relationships that have to end. There's going to be some habits that have to stop some places that you can't go anymore, some things that you can't do that have literally defined who you've been. No, Jesus now wants to define who you are. You're a child of the King. And the Spirit of God lives within you. What is it going to do with your life? How is it going to change you? And it's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy, friends. Here's the other thing about crucifixion. It takes a while to die. When somebody's hanging on a cross, it's not an immediate thing. Death doesn't come immediately. It, it sometimes takes hours. Thank you. Sometimes it takes hours for somebody to die. 
So in a similar way, listen, when we're trying to put sin to death in our lives, it, it may not happen overnight. We have to continue to nail those things on the cross. We have to continue to put it to death, and it may take a while. Paul says those who are actively doing this, those who have actively crucified the flesh, those who are daily crucifying the flesh, those are the ones that belong to Christ. Do you belong to Jesus? This is the way Jesus defined it. He defined discipleship this way in Luke 9. Right? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul's reminding the Galatians that discipleship involves crucifixion. Now, I want to make a couple of points about this theologically. Paul is not saying when you crucify your sin and, and desires of us that you're saving yourself. Right? He's already made that clear. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The only way we can come to faith in Jesus is to accept that salvation that he gives us, what he paid on the cross. That's positional. Does that make sense? Our position with Christ is for what he's done for us. But then he's going to talk about something intentional. Are you being intentional to crucify the sinfulness in your life, the passions and desires? Because they're two different things. We have to be intentional about these things in our lives. I like the way Keller puts it. Tim Keller says, to crucify the sinful nature is to say, Lord, my heart thinks that I must have this thing, otherwise I have no value. Reminds me of Gollum. Lord, my heart thinks I must have this thing, otherwise I have no value. It's a pseudo-savior. But to think and feel and live like this is to forget what I mean to you, how you see me in Christ. By your spirit, I will reflect on your love for me in Jesus until this thing loses its attractive power over my soul. Look at this. We must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than the object we felt we had to have. Isn't that good? We have to worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than that thing you wanted, than that thing that you felt you must have. Christ has to be more beautiful, more attractive. We belong to Christ when we're actively becoming a disciple, taking up our cross daily, crucifying our sinful nature, and we have to become who God wants us to be. And the only way to do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 25, and we're going to close in a second, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There's just this sense of going with God, being led by God. In the Greek, it literally gives a word picture, a picture of uh, a military unit. You know, the guys walk together and they are perfectly in step with their legs. You might think about a marching band. I mean, they don't, they don't make a move individually. Every single step Every single thing they do is connected to the leader. In the same way, that's what the Spirit of God wants to be in our lives. He wants to be so connected to us that we don't take a step without him. There's an expectation there, in essence, right? When the leader goes this way, and you, you better be right behind him. That's the expectation. There's a director. There's a direction given and an expectation for your life. So here we want to close. 
When it comes to uh, the Spirit of God in our lives, Paul has mentioned the Spirit seven times in ten verses in this text. Seven times in ten verses. At the bottom of your card, I've written down a few things that I want you to pay attention to. He says, walk by the Spirit in verse 16, which means hold on to Jesus. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. Be led by the Spirit, verse 18. Go where he leads. Follow his lead. Keep watch on your life and what he's doing so that you can be where he is. Live by the Spirit, verse 20, 25. You know, people tell us that we, we need water and air and food to live. Listen, as a believer, you, you're not a believer. You can't live as a believer apart from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't exist. We need to live by the Spirit, be sustained by the Spirit, have an ongoing relationship with the Spirit of God. Keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. Meet those expectations. Be where He is. Follow Him where He leads. Can I just tell you, this, this word is used a lot in Christendom to be spirit-filled. You heard that phrase? It's kind of confusing because the different people think different things about it. A lot of people use that phrase. They, they think, they say, listen, are you spirit-filled? It's almost a condition. Are you spirit-filled? And they may in their mind be saying, unless you speak in tongues, you're not spirit-filled. Well, can I just tell you this real quick? Listen, it's not that hard to, to pray a prayer language but it's not easy to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is more defined with how you live than what you speak and pray. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit? Is your life full of the Spirit? Is it full of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that a part of your life? Are those things growing in who you are in Him? We got to realize we're at a war. It's waging inside us. And we got to choose a side. We can't choose both. Listen, as we close, do you belong to Jesus? Or maybe this morning in your heart you're going, ah, I haven't really struggled with this sin. I haven't really thought that much about it. Sometimes people can, uh, can follow rules in their head and, and never know Jesus in their heart. Maybe you're a rule follower, but you don't know Jesus. We're going to open the altar, and I'm just going to ask you, if you want to come down and pray, come do that. If the Lord is drawing your heart to come pray, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to have elders or pastors here available to pray with you. Maybe you've been walking in the things, <laughs> the wrong list, and you just say, Lord, I want to see the fruit of the Spirit lived out in my life more than it has been. Would you give me intention to live from the position of salvation and now have the intention of what it means to be Christ-like, what it means to be a disciple? Because the position is something only Jesus can give, but the discipleship is something that you have to enter. It's something you have to walk in and take hold of. Have you done that? How are you doing? Where are you in that? Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this uh, message from Paul. So clearly, Lord, for us to see that, that there is a way to live uh, in you and that there is a way to live, Lord, that many of us have experienced without you. And there is no comparison, God. There is no comparison. 
Lord, I pray that you would move in this place. Lord, my heart and prayer, I've already prayed it this morning, God, is by your grace, would you save somebody today? Lord, if there's anybody in this room right now that is, is struggling, and don't, they don't know, if they were to die today, they don't know that if they would go to heaven. God, would you draw them to yourself? Or maybe there's a Christian in this building today that is at war and is miserable because they've been living in sin. God, would you help them to see their sin as the vile thing that it is that placed you on the cross and to repent of that sin, to bring it before you, Lord, and to lay it before you, God. Father, would you help us to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Lord God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, even today, with all the distractions, all the broken microphones, all the stuff, Lord, there's a war going on around us and the enemy doesn't want us to think about you. The enemy wages this war in our soul even now and wants to distract us from the things of God. Lord, may we focus our hearts and our minds for a few moments even now on what you want to do in us and who you want us to be in you. God, move in this place by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name.